0: I'm Dr Renee White and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of The Science of Motherhood. I'm your host, Dr Renee White. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, if you are listening to this in real time, it is the month of May 2023 and we are going to run a theme around maternal mental health because on the 4th of May, it is the World Maternal Mental Health Day. And so you will hear over the next couple of weeks, a real focus on the mental health of women um, and in particular mothers. Um, And today's guest is going to be deep diving into a particular subject that I know has affected me. It has affected a lot of people that I am friends and family with, as I've had mother's groups, other doulas that I know, allied healthcare professionals. We are not immune from this. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you do, it is a subject that can affect all of us. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to give a little shout out to the doula village here at fill your cup which is the beautiful organization that i lead up here in australia we have a wonderful doula village who help and support newborn mums who are in the thick of it when they come home from hospital or after their home birth and whilst we are not psychologists like today's guest we are absolutely trained in order to see red flags with our mama clients and it is something that is quite dear to my heart making sure that our doulas are trained in being able to support other mums with their own mental health. We provide additional training here at Fill Your Cup. So all of our doulas go through the COPE workshop, which is the Centre of Perinatal Excellence. They've got a um, wonderful workshop um, that I guess we get to like touch on where these thoughts come from, how to best support mums during this time and obviously how to refer on to those who specialise in this area, whether it's clinical psychologists or counsellors. And the other thing that I just wanted to flag is that, you know, you can probably imagine that as doulas working in home with mums all the time, we take on a huge emotional load as practitioners. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is the fact that here at Fill Your Cup, we provide a mental health expert who comes into our village meetings once a quarter. It is the lovely Katie Parker. If anyone knows Katie, she's a wonderful, wonderful human being. She's a doula herself. She's a counsellor. And so she comes into our village and helps support our doulas with unpacking all of that emotional toll on us. She gives us language and scenarios where we can, I guess, process and finesse our work as doulas. And so we can not only support the mums that we work with, but also support our own mental health. So I'm really proud to be able to provide that to all of our doors in our village. And we see the flow on effect when we support the mums that we do across Australia. So... With that in mind, the maternal mental health kind of aspect, I am thrilled to have this beautiful woman on our podcast. Her name is Frances Bilbao. She is a clinical psychologist and director of Mums Matter Psychology, which is in Melbourne. She started the practice in 2015 with the aim of helping all women experience meaning and fulfilment in motherhood, as well as a positive relationship with their child. Frances and her practice aims to make the services accessible and affordable to everyone. And you'll hear us, we talk about this in the podcast. Mums Matter Psychology partners with local maternal and child health centres, maternity hospitals. And, you know, the silver lining of COVID is that they also provide telehealth and that oh, I, I loved this when she told me this. They offer bulk billing under Medicare so there is no out-of-pocket expenses just to be able to create that accessibility and affordability for mums in need because there is nothing worse than a mum in a mental health crisis And then not being able to get the resources that she truly, truly deserves. So Mums Matter Psychology provides individual and group therapy through a team of specially trained perinatal mental health clinicians. So they're not just a clinical psychologist. They are specially trained for these particular areas. They hear stories of motherhood each and every day and empathize and can understand with exactly where you are in your journey. Of course, they've got special training in working with mums on common emotional and mental health issues experienced in pregnancy and early parenthood. And you'll hear from Francis the fact that it's around, it's not just, you know, after you've had a baby and you've become a mum, it's the journey beforehand. Because for some, you know, that journey of conception can take a huge emotional toll on you and the people around you. So in today's episode, the topic that we are deep diving on is intrusive thoughts. Oh my goodness. I know that I have definitely been there. in in those early sleep deprived kind of states of having those thoughts in my mind and you know that they are irrational but you just can't resolve them sometimes and so in today's episode Francis takes us through what intrusive thoughts are What are the most common ones? Why do mums get them? Like what's going on there? And then with that knowledge, she also walks us through a almost kind of treatment or how do we say this? mechanisms to put in your toolkit so you can kind of sit there and resolve those thoughts and feelings and emotions and she describes a method called acceptance and commitment therapy which is you know it can be shortened you might see it around as act and this framework is something that i really really love It's something that the Possums Organisation, which if you're a long-time listener, you'll know I'm a huge advocate for possums, they use the acceptance and commitment therapy as an arm of training their NDC accredited practitioners and that is what we use when we are consulting with mums and families particularly around these challenging areas like feeding and sleep and sensory nourishment we have to be able to integrate the language and resolutions of maternal mental health in that it's part of the mix you know so I think this is a wonderful episode to kick off our World Maternal Mental Health Month. And I I absolutely know that so many people are going to get value out of this. Get a pen and paper if this is something that you have been going through or you're supporting someone, if you're a grandparent and you know, your daughter or daughter-in-law or anyone like that who is in your circle, if you feel like they are getting some intrusive thoughts definitely jot a few of these tips down that Francis gives us. So without further ado, here is Francis Bilbao. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Francis Bilbao, how are you? Hello, thank you so
1: much for having me Renee, I'm really well, thank you, and so excited to yeah, be on your
0: podcast today. Oh, thank you. Um, so all the listeners would have heard already that you are a clinical psychologist and you're no the director of Mums Matter Psychology, which started in 2015. Do you want to give us a bit of a, I guess, snapshot of what Mums Matter Psychology is all about, where you're located, Uh and then we're going to discuss a topic today which I think is going to really, really resonate with all the mums because when we were talking about it offline, I was like, yes, 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 That was that was me um, and kind of still is me, six years postpartum. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about what that is in a second, but a little bit of an introduction as to who you are, Francis. Okay, thank you. Um, all right. So as you
1: said, I'm a clinical psychologist and I started Mums Matter Psychology, yeah, roughly eight years ago now, just around the time that I actually had my first child. Mm. And... Mums Matter is all about helping, hopefully, all women to experience meaning, purpose, hopefully some joy in motherhood, and helping people through that sort of emotional and mental transition to parenthood. Because it is, arguably, the most stressful time of people's lives. I know it's a sort of Normal, if you want, in inverted brackets, um, their experience and a very common one that people become parents. But it's also actually you know, one of the most significant changes we can go through um, and a time of real stress for people. So we really focus in on that perinatal period. We're a specialist service to offer yeah mental health support, emotional support, um, anywhere through even preconception so maybe people thinking about having a family and all the challenges that could come with that right through the pregnancy period and then into the postnatal period which we see women up until their kids are about the age of four so not just sort of that first year after birth but we know that you know there's um yeah challenges anytime through parenting but particularly in those early years when our kids are sort of in those preschool phases Um, And we see women with all sorts of different issues, I suppose, or challenges. So it might include anything from kind of mild adjustment to parenthood or, you know, right through to people who might be experiencing some more severe mental health difficulties and may need, you know, have some severe depression or anxiety or other mental health conditions who may need, yeah, some extra levels of uh, support around them.
0: Mm. I um, I love the fact that, yeah, (laughs) I love the fact that you've touched on you know, that that postpartum is almost, it's kind of for life, right? We know that. Postpartum is, yeah. is forever. <laughs> yes, and that you see people up until, you know, around that four years age group because I'm sure you're aware of it, that study that came out of the Murdoch Children's Research Institute which said that uh-huh. women are most or mothers are most likely to experience postnatal depression four years after. Not the stereotypical first three weeks, three months or something like that, but it was four years, which I think prompted, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that (laughs) initially, Um, but it kind of, to me, prompted this. First of all, I was shocked. And then second of all, I was like, wow, are our health systems equipped and do they follow up on parents Four years post, because I don't think they do right? Like we've like you know I, I always have this saying that as soon as they cut the umbilical cord, the uh-huh. rate of care for mothers declines faster than their yes. hormone levels after <laughs> the birth. And that, my friends, we know, from a scientific perspective, is the fastest drop in a hormone level in a human like that can ever happen. Yes. What what are your thoughts? Like do you in your clinic, before we dive into our major topic oh. today, um, this is what I do, I segue with people. <laughs> when yeah, no. I see something that I really uh, want to talk about. Point of interest. What do you what do you see in your clinic? Is that is are the patients in your clinic representative of that study?
1: We do see women through, like I said, sort of all phases, but certainly we do have a lot of women presenting to us with second children, I would mm. say. So perhaps the elder child is maybe that preschool age, you know, sort of two to four years, or a third child, you know, there's sort of these, tip, I guess, t- tipping points or extra stressors that have come yeah. in and, yeah, may m- make people more likely to present at that time. There's certainly... Or, you know I, I don't know if there's a hierarchy kind of of challenges cuz as you might resonate with there's just different different challenges at different times yes, right so yes. you know that huge transition you go through overnight when you're handed your baby in hospital is yeah. is one thing but then yeah the the emotional needs the the tantrums the you know all that stuff that comes along with yeah. toddlerhood and the early preschool years again is is challenging but just in a, a different way so mm. i think you know we see women across that whole time period. But yes, the, the stressors can kind of build up, I suppose, with additional children or maybe additional emotional needs of older children. So mm. yeah, we, we do see real bits.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was such an alarming statistic. And I also kind of thought to myself, you know, returning to work and, yes. and that type of thing yeah. is kind of all happening, this compounding effect. Yeah. Okay, then. And if you, were sorry, just
1: one other comment, I know you've had
0: some podcasts around sleep and sleep deprivation too. I mean,
1: that's another thing that builds up over time, right? So if you've had a, a baby or a child that hasn't slept for four years, you're pretty burnt out by that point. So I think that plays a role in it too. It's just like the prolonged amount of time, you know, and that's what we see with clinical burnout when these things have been dragging on for years.
0: Mm -hmm. you know
1: you're just completely depleted so I suppose that kind of makes sense in terms of why people might be at their worst at four years in because you've had four years of no sleep and yes all these demands on you so I think that does play a huge role
0: I I agree so my daughter is about to turn six in I say about she's about to turn six in like you know three or four months and Mm -hmm. I feel like I've only just got on top of my sleep now Yes. And that yeah. to me is crazy. I remember talking to a work colleague once, and this was pre-child, and she was saying how she's only just being able to have the time and space and energy to get back to the gym. And I said to yeah. her, how old are your kids? And she said, well, the youngest is eight. And I was, yeah. I said to her, What? Like, uh, so naive, so like, yeah. you know, no concept of anything. And I was like, Are you kidding me? And I was so shocked. And she's just like, I just, I just don't have any time for myself. And I was so gobsmacked at the time, but I totally get it. Like, I just absolutely yes. totally get it now. And I think the research does show that, like,
1: something like, you, you know, know, it takes people, yeah, 10, 10 years ish postpartum really yeah. to actually recover, again, in kind of, you know, the comments there because it's, um, you're never the same again, I suppose, but like to get back to sort of some version of your normal sleep patterns and health can take, you know, 10 years to feel
0: uh, replenished. Mm, Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for indulging me in that. (laughs) So today's topic, which people would have gauged from the title of the podcast, we are going to have a deep dive into intrusive thoughts because this I I don't think is discussed enough. It's kind of like this little kind of, I'm going to call it like, well, it's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow as we are (laughs) recording this on the 16th of Uh March and I feel like it's just like a little demon leprechaun that sits on your shoulder Uh and whispers terrible things into your ears particularly I I felt it a lot when I was a new mum you're at home by yourself you know your partner's at work you have another human being in the house but they can't communicate with you in any form of English that you understand and yeah. it's this constant cycling of oh my god am I good enough Oh my god should I be doing something else is there a uh-huh. better way of doing this i'm going to compare myself to you know Jody Karen and you know Billy down the road i'm going to compare my child to you know Toby Jake and Emily yeah. these types of thoughts in our heads as mothers can be very destructive. It was for me, I slipped into like this vortex of anxiety, which is not pleasant. So Francis, let's talk about intrusive thoughts. Let's first start off with what they are. Is what I just said true representation or is there some other elements that we should be bringing into the conversation about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, as you said, just to touch on briefly, you know, I think This is not talked about and for a few reasons, it's such a taboo, I suppose, to perhaps mention anything that might sound negative about motherhood or that, you know, you have feelings that are not 100% pure about your child or,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, that you don't enjoy it or you've had, yeah, scary thoughts. So there really is a reluctance on the part of most people to, to talk about it and reveal that they're having any of these type of thoughts. And that's a lot to do with, I guess, society's construct around motherhood, you know, that it should all be rainbows and fairies and unicorns and mm-hmm. peaches yep. you know, and a,
0: cream. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're a, you're, you're, you know, so there's something wrong with you if you don't love every minute of it. And that's, yeah, absolutely not true, I suppose. That's one of the biggest myths of motherhood, that you would feel no ambivalence, that you would feel no discomfort, that you would love your child 100% of the time, all the time, and never have a negative thought. That's, yeah, completely untrue and very unrealistic. So it's no wonder, though, that people feel a lot of guilt and shame about, or guilt about having the thoughts and shame in public about maybe talking about some of the thoughts that they have. So yeah, I'm really Happy to talk about it today to help normalise it because it is really normal and common. So what are intrusive thoughts? Yes, going back to your question. So an intrusive thought can be any thought that, look, we, we, have, we all have thoughts all the time, right? Like we can't stop our thoughts coming. That's just a normal part of being human. You can try as much as you'd like to kind of turn your brain off. But unfortunately, we have evolved as a species to use language and our brains to function. So, yeah, I've got a lot of clients that sort of come in saying, oh, my brain's just so busy, like it's just on all the time, I want to be able to switch it off. We can do a little bit to turn it down a little bit, Mm -hmm. but we're never going to completely switch it off. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you wouldn't be kind of alive if if you did that. Yeah. But we have all kinds of thoughts, right? So we have good thoughts, we have nice thoughts, we have some nasty thoughts, we have bad thoughts, we have all kinds of thoughts all the time, and they just kind of roll one into the other. Most of our thoughts, though, we just don't, pay like peeps of attention to we kind of just they can they go we just kind of get on with our day and yeah they're not a big deal intrusive thoughts feel more like they're a surprise I suppose or they're something that is a little bit out of character risk a character for you so something that you kind of go oh I don't like that thought or I don't see myself actually like agreeing with this thought or doing this thought mm. but it's popped into my head so, some of the common, um, I guess, uh, areas that people might have these thoughts in or themes can be around maybe harming someone else, harming themselves. Could be thoughts about cleanliness, for example. So, you know that things are dangerous in some way. Could be thoughts around, yeah, maybe, maybe like doing something that you just wouldn't normally do. I mm, guess. Mm. And so it feels very unlike you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So these things pop into our minds. Um, and like you said, this could include those thoughts around incompetence, perhaps, or, you know, am I doing the right thing? Self doubt, so sort of making mistakes, like that ability to kind of trust yourself, I suppose. Mm. Like, yeah have I put the right um,
0: clothing on my baby? Are they going to like die from heat? Because I've put the, you know, too many layers on this oh time. Oh, God. Well, the, the tog <laughs> scale has haunted yes, me. How exactly. I <laughs> supposed to figure this tog scale out? I have no idea. Yeah. Yes, exactly. yeah, that's um definitely one of the number one things that when I work with first-time parents, they're like, what is this tog scale? And I was like, yes. and I'll get messages from <laughs> them at like, you know, Nine o'clock at night, going. I'm not sure if I've put enough stuff on, and what's the tog yes. calculation? And <laughs> and I'm like, they don't include that in your hospital pack. No, they home. do not. There's they the tog scale. Yeah, and and also they don't include, you know, whether your child is, I guess, more sensitive to coldness or heat, because unfortunately, yes. they're human beings and they're not robots, so we can't <laughs> we can't program them. <laughs> But we just have to no, deal with that's that. That's right. Um, exactly. I wonder, Francis, is this something that occurs more frequently in, I guess, early stage motherhood because, and I'm I'm throwing like some ideas out there, because we yep. have this complete brain remodeling that occurs in order to become mothers. Is that something where, like, the gateway is opened and therefore we're able to, I don't know, receive more of these thoughts? Like, what's going on there? Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So basically when you become a parent, your brain automatically becomes primed to focus 100% almost on your baby's safety and keeping that baby alive. So we go through this transition where our hypervigilance is, yeah, up to a new level um, when we have a baby because, yeah, nature is going, hello, you've got this little small human being to look after, you need to be 100% on alert for any danger that might be coming so that you can protect this child. So absolutely, within this perinatal period, our brain changes to accommodate for that. And we start to have this, yeah, extra focus on safety and alertness for danger. So, as you might know, we kind of already have an inbuilt danger system, which you know some people refer to as the fight or flight system. So, when we're alerted to a danger in our environment, our body kicks in and goes, "Well, what do I need to do? Do I need to run, or do I need to fight this?" That, as I said, is then just basically escalated and and at a whole new level when we have a baby um, and it's 100% normal for our brain to go into overdrive and protect, 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 protect. The problem in modern day times, though, is that um, we don't have tigers kind of leaping out of the bushes to get us or, you know, some of those more extreme dangers. So our brain loves, like I mentioned at the beginning, it loves language. And to help make sense of this kind of intense feeling of maybe fear or kind of protection or you know, this, like, instinctual need to look after our babies, our brain likes to put words to that feeling.
0: Okay. comes
1: up with all kinds of lovely stories for us or images to make sense of that underlying kind of, yeah, Mm. fear more so that's there. So it will take anything kind of that's in our environment. So, you know, you might, this is a fairly extreme example, but these thoughts are very common. You may have a kitchen knife on the bench, for example, and if you're feeling... Quite insecure in that moment, or feeling kind of uncertain or afraid. You might have that thought of, Oh, what if, what if I just accidentally cut myself with that knife? Or what if I accidentally stab somebody else with that knife? Because it's your brain's just taking whatever's kind of around you. Yep. And putting that into a story to make sense of an underlying feeling. So I suppose, yeah, when we talk about the actual content of intrusive thoughts, we know that that's actually not that relevant because our brain just kind of incorporates whatever is there. Yeah, It's more about that kind of deeper underlying sense of just anxiety, fear, you know, like you said, just feeling like what the hell is the tog system? Like, yes. And in modern day society, that actually triggers our fight or flight response. What is the tog system, not the tiger leaping out
0: of the bushes? Yes. Oh my goodness. That is fascinating. The fact that We have these emotional feelings and in order to, and correct me if I'm wrong, so it's in order for our brain to kind of almost rationalise it, it's like we need to put a narrative with that emotion and like kind of almost like put it in a box and be like that's what that is. We need to name it somehow and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to build like a story around it.
1: Absolutely. Brain wants a story to go with the feeling. <laughs>
0: and okay.
1: it doesn't really mind what that story is. That can be terrifying to the other part of us that's watching this story. But um, and that's why a lot of the time the other part of you is going, the heck was that? That doesn't make sense. I would never do that or I would never want to do that. Why yeah. did my brain like
0: come up with that? I have to ask you a question this is a personal experience i <laughs> so I'm tr- I'm like looking I'm thinking back to like when it happened can it also relate to things where like you are fearful of something but you know prior to becoming a mom like I didn't have any fear of that whatsoever okay yeah. because something happened so in the house that we were initially living in when Eva was first born. We had very, um, I can't believe I'm sharing this story. We had, we had, it was an old house, right? And we had lots of kind of cracks and everything around these big window frames. And in summer, this little skink lizard came into the bedroom and it was like crawling up the walls. Now, I'm not a huge fan of like creepy crawlies, but like typically we're like okay, whatever. I had like this huge outburst. I couldn't be in the room. I remember I remember walking out in the middle of the night to go to the ensuite, to go to the toilet. And On the way out, as I was walking through, I noticed that it was on like the door frame as I walked through. I couldn't leave the bathroom. Like I was standing on top of the toilet, screaming out to my husband that he had to come and like rescue me. And I remember him standing there looking at me like I was a deranged, crazy person. He was like, Are you kidding me? It's three o'clock in the morning. Like you just need to come back into the bedroom. And I was like, I'm paralyzed. I cannot move. You need to get rid of it. And he was like, "I can't, Renee. We can't turn the lights on. The baby's asleep." And I was like, "I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm not moving you all nice. my new bed. Is yeah. this is this what is happening in my head? Because I was like, yeah. I was yeah. like, "It's gonna crawl all over me. It's gonna crawl over Eva." And then yeah. <laughs> I was like, "What if it bites us?" I was like, "Now I'm like, it's a skink, yeah. Renee. Seriously, do they even have teeth? I don't even know." Yeah. <laughs>
1: I guess it's a reflection of, you know, if you're already feeling quite anxious, um, your brain basically attaches that anxiety to anything it can find. So you will often, you know, perhaps, like this is just an example, but like in that situation, perhaps, you know, your husband removed the, the lizard and, you know, it was all good. But then, you know, the next night maybe there's something else that now captures your attention and you kind of start to incorporate that thought. So we tend to move our anxiety around, like I said, and just incorporate kind of what's in our environment yeah, into okay. making sense of that. So often we'll find people might have a high level of anxiety, for example, even like during pregnancy, and that could be focused on, for example, like the health of baby, like needing to get kind of constant checks of is everything okay? And then obviously that ends when the pregnancy ends, but then might be something new, like oh, checking that baby's, you know, not suffocating in their sleep. So I suppose it's it's always that kind of reflection of a high level of you know, kind of just internally maybe feeling not confident or mm. yeah, that lack of going, yep, yeah, I've got this, I know what to do. Yeah. Um, that anxious feeling and then attaching it to kind of specific circumstances that pop up.
0: Okay. This is all making sense to me now. I'm going to tell my husband about this because he still recites that story to people. He's like, Oh my God, yes. Renee. She a bit, like it's funny in that moment. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> but even looking back, I was like, and, and you're totally right because in that moment I thought to myself, you are being crazy Renee. Like it's just a tiny little skink. It's not uh-huh. going to hurt you. But then my body was so paralyzed. Yes. I could not move. Like, Okay yes. so the skink was the tiger in the bushes for me. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> That's right. <Yes. laughs> we've got that. Exactly. We we've, we've got yeah. that down. Now, yes. okay. Let's talk about when we have those. So when I see the skink yes. in the bathroom, Francis. Yes. Let's talk about some strategies to actually deal with that and mm-hmm. overcome and kind of like you know, work with those thoughts. Uh We're going to talk about something called ACT, which I love. It's part of the Possums program training. So I know a little bit about it already, but would you like to, I guess, walk the listeners through what is ACT and how can this be a really valuable resource and tool Um, for the parents to engage in when they have those intrusive thoughts? Yeah, sure. Okay,
1: so acceptance and commitment therapy it stands for, as you I think just said. Um so ACT is the acronym. And this form of therapy or intervention does fit underneath what the broader category of a cognitive behavioral therapy. So some people listening may have heard of that. It's abbreviated also to CBT. So it is a type of cognitive behavioral therapy, but it does have some, some I guess alternate, yeah, um, perspectives that are a little bit different to your traditional CBT. So lots of therapies or cognitive behavioural therapies anyway focus on our connection between our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviour and how those three kind of influence each other. So more of the traditional CBT therapies they really focus in on having a look at perhaps some of the unhelpful cognitions or thoughts that we might be having. What we talk about there is some biases that we all have. So, you know, I guess just to give you a couple of examples of things that we might classify as kind of unhelpful thinking styles would be catastrophizing, for example. So exactly kind of what you yeah. had just said around the skink. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to bite us and that will all die. Yeah actually, let's have a look at that. Do skinks actually have teeth to begin with? <laughs> if it did bite me, would it actually kill me? Probably not. So that's just a very quick example of, you know, sort of the extreme thinking that catastrophizing. Another one might be when we use a lot of shoulds in our thinking. So I should be the perfect mother. I should feed my child all, you know, organic food to be a good mother. That Those kind of thoughts. When we're using a lot of kind of black and white statements a lot of extreme thinking, um, that again is an example of an unhelpful kind of cognitive bias that we use. So sort of traditional therapy might drill into some of that and examine our thinking and go, hmm, hang on, let's have a look where this. these, maybe I'm using some too much of these sort of unhelpful thinking styles, let's make our thinking a little bit more realistic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is still a part of acceptance and commitment therapy however acceptance and commitment therapy kind of acknowledges that sometimes our thinking is realistic yeah (laughs) sometimes we are completely balanced in our thoughts but we still have some really difficult feelings that we need to sit with so for example grief you know when somebody passes away we are going to feel sad that is normal that is a normal human emotion and no amount of kind of uh, changing, you know. There's no unhelpful thinking necessarily there. That's a, just a normal human emotion to sit with. So, act has that component of okay. When we've examined our thinking and no, it's pretty. We're pretty balanced. We're pretty okay here with our thoughts. What is that part of that emotion then that's actually out of our control and it's not a nice emotional experience? Perhaps, but how can we learn to tolerate it and sit with it a little bit? The other part of acceptance and commitment therapy is then moving towards living a valued life. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, I guess, uh, act is you want to kind of embrace your demons or some of your difficult feelings because that is completely normal as a human being mm-hmm. to have a full range of emotions, not just happy and positive emotions, but we all have negative or hard emotions as well. So you want to kind of embrace those parts of yourself because it's telling you something at the same time, be able to kind of follow your heart, follow your direction that you want to go in life, and still take meaningful action in the face of some of these difficult experiences.
0: Mm. Okay, and could you could you kind of say like I love the fact that you said you got to sit with the feelings mm. because mm-hmm. there are some, I guess, kind of. Therapeutic treatments where it's not sitting with it's uh-huh. almost changing lanes. Yeah, if that makes sense, we're not going to stay yeah. in this lane and and weather. Let's say the rainstorm. We're going to change lanes because it's a bit sunnier over here, and we'll just keep on moving on. Yeah, that that's one of the things I love with ACT because I also feel like I think it's important to your point where it's telling us something um, like yes, we need it's a sign. yeah like we're we're not just feeling these things because it's some sort of spontaneity spontane spontaneous that's what i'm trying to say right yes. spontaneous okay. thought and it's not relevant to anything that we're currently experiencing in life so yeah, yeah. I, I love i love that about about act um, and so okay can you discuss with us what are some of the strategies that you use with your patients in, in particular you know mums dads you know caregivers when they are feeling these i'm going to call them little leprechauns on their shoulders um in life what are the types of tools that that you could recommend to help work them through that
1: yeah So I think just the first really important point is always education. So just that first people understand what we've talked about in terms of what intrusive thoughts are, why they might be having them, um, how common they are. So I'm not sure we touched on that. But, you know, like in the research it shows 100% of new parents, 100% will have intrusive thoughts about accidentally hurting their baby. Mm -hmm. So completely normal. And I think once people understand that, You know, it takes away a lot of that shame and guilt that we talked about because actually everybody has this. They may not admit it, but at some point you will think, oh, my God, what if I drown my baby in the bath by accident? Yes. Yes. And 50% of new parents will have thoughts about intentionally harming their baby as well. So, you know, still really high. Um, so, you know, just that normalisation is really important, I think, for people and also that protective nature of the thoughts like but this is actually your brain trying to do the best thing for your baby like it's actually your worst nightmare that that would happen right it doesn't mean in any way that you want to do these things mm. it actually means you're trying to sort of protect against these things happening. So once people get, oh, yeah, actually, my brain's trying to do a good thing here, it's um, it's not working against me, it's actually trying to help me, mm. you can kind of make friends with your brain a little bit more <laughs> that way. <laughs> and then, yeah, so acceptance and commitment therapy has a number of tools, but the, I guess one of the biggest ones is what we refer to as diffusion. So ACT works with that idea that our brains love language. And it can be a curse and a blessing at the same time. If it's a curse when we get too wrapped up in our language and we kind of what we call fuse with it too much and we kind of believe everything our brain tells us, Mm -hmm. the opposite of that is to defuse ourselves from our thoughts and recognise, hang on a second, this is just language that my brain uses to make sense of my feelings, but it doesn't always have to be true. Like the thoughts that it comes up with, It's just a bit random sometimes, like it doesn't have to be the truth. So we can detangle ourselves from our language in our heads and recognise that's just one sort of small part of ourselves. That's just my brain trying to do its job and make sense, but it's not always right. It's not always perfect. It's not always um, something I need to follow. I can be another little part of myself, the observing self, We like to call it, kind of step back and just go hmm, okay I'm having that thought but do I want to listen to it or just put it aside
0: for now mm.
1: does that sort of yeah. concept of diffusion
0: make sense yeah it does to me it does to me I, I like lo- I like that and I, I think I've always kind of said this in life you know being a scientist um, uh-huh. as well I feel like as soon as People understand the why. Mm-hmm. That is the gatekeeper for so much. That is the, yes. like, you know, I say this in my introduction of the podcast knowledge is power. If you I'm understand sorry. the why and why this is happening to your brain and why you are feeling these things,
1: yes. you
0: have the power to be able to, you know, take that information and use it to your advantage. And I oh, think so I ACT leverages off that so, so well because it isn't being dismissive and it's not casting it aside and I've tried that form of therapy yes. and it I give it the tip, ladies, it don't work. <laughs> well, it yes. don't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I guess weathering the storm and, under, again, sitting with it going, okay, why am I feeling that? Okay, that's really interesting. You know, where's yes. that coming from? Um, you know do, do i want to spend time and energy on processing that or do i do i know that that's just not rational for me Yes. and so yes. you know you'd kind of weigh up the pros cons risk benefit and go mm, no, i'm not going to invest my time in that because i know that that's not worth it for me and the value is not yes. there um you get a choice right yeah exactly. and i love that you just sort of touched on a huge part of
1: that, which is that Uh, ability just to notice your thoughts, notice what's happening for yourself in a non-judgmental kind of way. So, you know, uh, able to be saying to yourself, oh, I notice I'm having that thought about um, accidentally dropping the baby, but, yeah, do I need to actually pay attention to that Mm. thought or can I put this thought also in the bucket of Mm. not relevant, not important, kind of, yeah, moving on. Yeah. Because I guess what trap a lot of uh, us tend to get into is noticing, really noticing it, and then going into a whole nother level of, oh, you idiot, why would you have that thought? You're a bad person. You should never think like that. No good mother would ever have that thought, which is that's what actually gets us kind of stuck and into a cycle of low mood and anxiety because we're kind of going to a whole level of beating ourselves up about this thought. Yeah. Rather than just noticing it kind of non-judgmentally and untangling ourselves from it.
0: Yeah. I think I I have to say that it's taken me a long time to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things at play. One, not so sleep deprived anymore because you don't have the bandwidth to be able to do anything but survive i feel i felt like in those newborn days um and then also that to me it's that opportunity for space and time and self-care to have that reflection because when you are in it when you are in the thick of it like you are in that fight and flight mode 24 7 and i think that's one of the things i would love for you to expand on because i mean i've I've spoken about this previously with listeners and in our weekly emails as well in our village email around the things that I've used to kind of turn around my life um, to be able to create space and time for myself, you know, whether it be with journaling or infrared sauna because it's 65 degrees in that box, you cannot do anything but sit with your thoughts. There's no phone in there. You can bring a book in but, like, you know, not really my jam, and then also creating availability for yourself, whether it be through a doula or, like, parents, in-laws or, you know, your village to come and help with your baby so you can have time out to to reflect. Do you have any other, I guess, suggestions around how people can take those steps to get to that point of going, okay, i got this, I need to sit with my emotions and and work through them? Like you said, it's definitely not something that
1: many of us are actually used to or trained in kind of how to do. So it's something you do need to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be, yeah, working with the therapist to kind of learn some of those skills. But it could, you know, there's a lot of apps out there as well now that you can download on your phone so that you can maybe sneak it in if you're walking the baby, you know, out in the pram. You can listen to it while you're doing that. So I guess there's a the common term for this now is mindfulness, I suppose, but mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is mindfulness of thoughts, right? So we're yeah. actually being present to our thoughts, not necessarily present in what we're doing yes. as such, but this is what we call mindfulness of thoughts, so being aware of what's happening in our in our head. So you can do that when you're walking you know, out with the baby in the pram. You can do it while you're breastfeeding. You can do it while you're shushing your baby to sleep. And, in fact, those are probably the times when you want to be most aware because mm-hmm. generally when you've been bopping a baby for three hours and you just want the hell to go to (laughs) sleep. Your brain is going to all kinds of places like, I just want to throw this baby out the window. I just want to, you know, take. I can't do this anymore. I'm not coping. I can't do this. That's the kind of thoughts that are going to be running through your mind. So that's really important at those times that you're able to say, I notice I'm having the thought that I want this to end. I notice I'm having the feeling that I can't cope. Mm. and becoming kind of more aware of that train of like this narrative that's running through your head
0: mm. rather
1: than perhaps being so wrapped up in it that you get to the point where you could actually maybe act on some of that but also that, yeah, you're just sort of, you know, you're, you're feeling not great. You're really, yeah, you've had enough.
0: Yeah. I wonder, I guess, for those who are really struggling to kind of practice that for themselves, the value in engaging with someone that they trust and, and uh-huh. verbalizing those thoughts to them, you know, yeah. that, that's got to be a very special person because I don't uh-huh. think, and this is, you know, the experience I've had with working with newborn mums, we don't necessarily want a problem solver, we just want a listener. Yes. And so, could there be like, do you have any advice for someone who is kind of engaging that conversation? Because, you know, where do they start? Like, because <laughs> I can only imagine yeah. when I started to feel those things. I mean, I I had a psychologist for a very long time before that. So I had a pre-established relationship with her. And when I went to her and, you know, was talking to her about the anxiety that I was feeling, I was convinced that I had postnatal depression because that's all I thought. Yeah. I was like, oh, it has to be that, you know, and she just kept saying to me, it's not, it's not. This is actually really normal. This is a really normal part of motherhood. And similar to your point, like these are the things that happen to you in motherhood in order for you to protect your child and these are the evolutionary mechanisms that occur for you to protect your child. So if anything, I hate to tell you, but you're on the right track. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But what are that's the right, what are yeah. the types of conversations or like I guess starting yes. points for people to to leverage off? Yeah, and look, you know, I don't. I always say to people,
1: you you, you don't have to tell people your exact thoughts, like because as we said, you yeah. know, it's really hard for people to say, oh, I had a thought of throwing the baby out window, or you know, I had a thought of putting the pillow over baby's face, or something like that. Yeah. Just you know, yeah. they may not want to actually say that and again, I would say it's not entirely relevant, actually, in terms of the content, because like we said, you're just incorporating what's around you yeah. to make sense of a feeling. So the actual feeling under that is, I'm tired. I'm, I need a rest. I haven't taken care of myself. I'm not attending to my own needs. I need a break. Mm-hmm. That's really what's going on. So I guess again, you don't need to tell someone, oh, I've had this extreme kind of thought that didn't sit well with me at all. But it's just, I can tell that I'm getting to a point that I need a break. Mm. So, you know, I'm having some really, um, some anger that's coming, you know, when I'm in the middle of the night, I'm feeling really angry. So you can describe just describe it in terms of feelings, right? Or I was feeling really anxious. I could feel it in my body. Like my, you know, my chest was really tight. My stomach was churning. I, I'm just not feeling very, good at the moment. I know I need to take some time for myself to to rest. So I think having in that discussion, like using those words around what's the deeper need here that's not being fulfilled. And using that as your kind of starting point. And you can, you know, you could say to your partner, look, I know it's getting that bad because I am having some thoughts that just, yeah, they don't sit well with me. And I, I just know that this is time for me to, you know, I need more help. I need more help.
0: Mm. Oh wow. And the whole asking for help thing, Francis, yes, is is tough. a whole yes. different realm of absolutely. Um, and I think this, you know, this
1: can um, happen more so for people that have had that sort of prior experience of always being kind of helper themselves, and a you know a giver, giving lots of themselves. You know, like you say, maybe finding it hard to ask for help because that's kind of a role they have played throughout their life. But then when you have a baby, that, again, is really amplified. Now you really do have this small person that is relying on you.
0: Yeah.
1: But it can be really easy to take on almost like too much responsibility and not share that around to some of the other people who could be playing that caregiver role. Maybe not even directly to the baby, but to you as a mum. So yeah. asking your partner yeah. to just get you some... Your drink bottle when you sit down to breastfeed, you know, making sure that they're involved in some way and taking care of you as the person who might be taking care of the baby.
0: Mm, that's such an interesting point. My God, we could um, talk for days on that whole asking for help narrative because I was I was guilty of it. You know, type A personality did it all by myself for my whole life. You know, thought that that's the way that you become a good mom and boy oh boy did that come crashing down abruptly yeah but
1: it's a strategy that we get taught is very useful in society in every other aspect of our lives and that's again what's really different about modern day parenting is that we come into it having come out just come out of a society which tells us the more you do the more you get it right the better things will be the more rewarded you will will get if you are perfect and you you kind of tick all the boxes and you stay in control and you you know do this really great job and then suddenly you're a new parent that wait everything's out of my control i can't actually be good at this i've never done it before nobody gave me a rule book to follow that feels horrible (laughs) no wonder everyone's going into this full-on fight or flight mode and these intrusive thoughts are coming like there's no tomorrow because Your body is literally going, oh, my God, this is so different to everything I have been taught up until now. I don't know, not know what the hell I'm doing. And you're scared. Yeah. You're scared. And that, you know, like I said, that then your brain comes up with all kinds of stories to make sense of that fear. And then we're wondering why we're having these thoughts. So it actually makes total
0: sense if you put it in context. Absolutely. And, yes, throw in sleep deprivation. Yes. Pregnancy, birth, recovery, potential birth trauma, and a child who is your sole responsibility to keep alive.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and like like you say, I mean, just like from like for anyone who has even maybe the like most, you know, normal kind of experience you can have, that's really hard. But then throw in any other additional challenges and stressors that come up and, wow, like, it could, yeah, exactly, roll into
0: um, all kinds of issues if there's additional things going on as well. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That just makes me sad <laughs> to talk about it. But but this is why we have organisations like Mums Matter um, yeah. because we always say it takes a village well I think people say it takes a village to raise a child I argue that it takes a village to support a mother because that in and of itself is what we actually need because I believe that you know if a mother is looked after she can do her job as a mother and look after the baby herself but she needs to be well supported first that's that's the thing I think we've I think we've kind of got the the narrative um, mixed up at the moment. A bit of mixed up, yeah. yeah. Francis, we are going to wrap up shortly. <laughs> I'm going to end with our rapid fire, but was there any other comments that you wanted to raise around intrusive thoughts or ACT before we, we dive into that? Um, look, just to re-emphasise how
1: common they are and, as you mentioned briefly, you know, What can be really unhelpful is if we kind of go down a path of thinking, I want to completely rid myself of these thoughts or I want to suppress them, because we kind of know that actually the more we try to do that, the more they actually pop up for us. So, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy can be a really different perspective on how we manage our thoughts and that actually sometimes it's okay to just sit with feelings and also to actually just notice thoughts and be okay that they've popped up, not to go, oh, I need to get rid of that because, like we said, it's a sign, right? It's always telling us something about what's going on on a deeper level for us. So, you know, trust yourself. Trust that it's um, something that, yeah, it's an important part of yourself that's, that's giving you a cue that perhaps you do, yeah, need to take a break or, or be kind to yourself. So, Anyone who is, yeah, in a position where these thoughts are becoming distressing for them and having trouble kind of putting in some of these strategies, I really would suggest, yeah, working with a professional to strengthen these interventions or like strategies that you can use. And there's, yeah, plenty of help resources out there. So Mm. jump online even and have a look what's around because there's a lot of supports
0: Mm, I love that. I think that's a really important point to engage with someone who is a professional because that that's definitely been a game changer for me, you know, because I think going full circle back to your very first point in terms of like motherhood, where we're walking into this, we are f- fully unequipped. We have, yes. we don't have a rule book. We don't have any kind of, you know, knowledge as to how this works as a first-time parent, but even second and third time, like, you know, oh, yeah. compounding yeah. effect of of children and things like that. But yes, if we really are kind of serious about engaging and, and practising this ACT, um, you need to have a professional alongside you. You need to have a cheerleader. You need to have someone yes. guiding you through and teaching you Uh, you know, the playbook on how how to do this because I say this to a lot of families, you know, I've been seeing a therapist for over 12 years now and it's got to the point where I've done the really hard work so I've got the foundation and so every so often I go in for what I call a tune-up, like a Um, car, get my oil changed, windscreen wipers, you know, fresh oil water get my tires realigned and that's what yeah. I need every so often to kind of get me back on track um and yeah, to be able absolutely. to weather that storm instead of slipping into the sunny lane where mm-hmm. the storm is just waiting for me
1: look <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it's and waiting we all, we all need that right like back to our point of being able to ask for help like it's actually normal to ask for help yes. and like it's not a sign of weakness or that something's wrong with you actually as a human we are we can have our own internal coping strategies and yes we want to build those up as much as we possibly can but equally at the same time nature has intended that we connect with other people and that they are a reflection board for us That you know they are there to help us like that's why we have you know parental caregivers like we're Primed as a human being to make a deep connection with people and actually engaging others to support us and reflect with us. So important and a natural part. You're not needy if you need to do that. You're
0: normal. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Primed for deep connection. I'm going to write that down because I've never thought about it like that. That's beautiful, Frances. Thank you. All right, here we go. We're going to finish off with our rapid fire. What is your top tip? for mothers? Be kind to yourself.
1: (laughs) There is no answer that's right. Okay. Like there's, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist working in this field every day. I have three kids. I regularly get it wrong on a regular basis. I'll tell you that now. So, you know, even for someone who's a professional in this field, you don't get it right all the time. And that's just, you know, take that expectation down because it's, we're human again, we're just human, we all yeah. make mistakes and that's totally fine and you're learning how to do something completely new and it's all right and just give yourself a break. The most yeah, beneficial thing you can do is develop an inner voice of compassion. I love that. Yeah, that's really
0: good. Um, do you have a go-to resource, whether it be a book, a workshop, a podcast mm. for... You know pregnant or new mummers,
1: yeah.
0: Um, yeah, well, just staying on our theme for today around acceptance
1: and commitment therapy, if people are interested in kind of this approach, uh, Dr. Cole Whittingham, so she's uh, based at UQ in Queensland, but um, she I think she's had some involvement with the Possums program yeah. as well and developing some of their stuff, but yeah, I love her book, Becoming Mum, which is written, yeah, for anybody, so it's not for. Professionals for anybody at all, but it really yeah uses the ACT strategies and relating that to yeah the day to day challenges of parenting. So I highly recommend her book, and also she's got a website that has a lot of free meditations and exercises and stuff there too. So check that out.
0: Excellent for all those. So it's koa Whittingham, K O A O A yes W H think that's it. Yes. Um. Yeah, but even if you just did COA and then ACT, I think that would like come up in the Google search. And our final question that we ask all of our guests, what do you have on your bedside table? Mm, um, I just downloaded Becoming
1: by Michelle Obama on Audible. I don't read books at night I'm too tired. I can only listen to them. Yeah. Um, this is a parenting thing. I've learned how to listen to podcasts in the car or when I'm walking, baby in the pram. Yeah. So. Uh, but, yes, I use Audible a lot. That's another top tip of mine. Um, but, yeah, Becoming by Michelle Obama because I just loved, um, like she's been very honest recently about her own mothering experiences and how she feels so lost and how difficult it had been for her, which I just, like, I love that somebody's so influential and, you know, what you would think is the peak of power and peak of perfection, I guess, and, you know, even she struggled with it. So. I love that. And I wanted to hear more about her story. So I've just got into that.
0: Mm, I love that. I'm going to have to have a, have a, I've turned into a bit of a audible chick as well, because yeah. I, I dabble, you know, obviously in podcasts, but I, I love it when you're cooking or folding the washing yeah. or, yeah. you know, going in the car or something Driving. like that. I've, yeah. I've yeah. just, just started my journey onto, <laughs> onto audible which has been really and really I, good. I feel for my
1: kids because yeah with my first you know and this is an example of how you can start to give yourself some breaks but I you know with my first child I would never have listened I'd always listen to the wiggles or something like that with her in the car but now with my third I'm like no you're listening to becoming by Michelle Obama sorry
0: <laughs> I love it I love that, <laughs> I, love that. <laughs> I love that yeah Um, Okay. And so where can we find you, Frances? Where is Mums Matter Psychology? How can people tap into these wonderful services? Yeah. So um,
1: COVID was obviously hard for everybody and not a good experience. However, one good thing did come out of it, which is telehealth for medicine and for psychology sessions. So Essentially, I guess we're everywhere because, yeah, we can see anyone from anywhere across Australia via telehealth. So we do have a few face-to-face locations, mostly in yeah, central Victoria, sorry, Melbourne, um, mostly inner west. But yeah, telehealth actually has is what people prefer. So we're really working probably 95% on telehealth. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's out there who's thinking, oh, no, I don't want telehealth, that's I don't like that. I've encouraged you to give it a try because once people try it, they actually love it and they love the convenience of it. And you know, if your baby is napping, you don't have to wake them up to come to an appointment. Yeah. They can continue napping in their cot. Or if your partner might be working from home or something, you know, it's easy just to go into the next room and have your session. So Yes, we can essentially see people from anywhere. So, if you're interested, please yeah jump onto our website www.mumsmatterpsychology.com and yeah new clients can uh, book in uh, themselves there without you know a referral or anything for just a bit of an initial chat. And yes, then we do operate under a mental health care plan from a GP, and we bulk bill our appointments, which means there's no fee for your sessions. It's completely bulk billed to Medicare. Because I'm very passionate about making sure all women, as I said at the beginning, are able to access services and experience some meaningful connection, you know, in motherhood. So I really am, yeah, proud to offer a service that is free for people.
0: That's amazing. Well done to you. And I have to say, personally, I use telehealth all the time now with my psychologist. And I did when, I mean, obviously I'm in a different state now, so it works perfectly. But even when I was in the same state, I had a newborn, I was able to breastfeed and still, you know, talk through my session and things like that. It was, I'm as as um as your passion is so high about providing, you know, that level of service and kind of opportunities, I equally have the same passion about the fact that I don't think mums should have to leave their houses <laughs> during yes. those newborn days. Absolutely. Cause I'm thinking that is hard enough, you know, let alone carding a baby across town and managing feed. Yeah,
1: that's right. I mean, yeah. just learning how to get
0: your baby in and out of the
1: car. So it's oh, oh my
0: God. And but those capsules, I mean, yes. <laughs>
1: could they make I, them any heavier? Like, honestly. Exactly. That's <laughs> why I ne- never used one because I couldn't carry it. So yeah, that was a disaster. But anyway, um, yeah. And you know, if you've had a Caesar or you've had birth trauma, you've got some significant injuries or, you know, all those things, you don't want to be You know, commuting for an hour back and forth and things. Yeah. So I really would encourage people to give, you know, and it's just on Zoom, you can still see your psychologist and you can still get a really good, uh, I think, connection with them. And the research shows there's no difference in terms of outcomes between face to face work and telehealth work.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That's Mm. very interesting. I like that. We're going to include all of your details in the show notes for the podcast. So, we will have all of the links in there. But thank you so much for your time today. I loved talking about this topic because, as you can probably gather, I had a lot of intrusive thoughts, including the skink yes. episode, which actually happened multiple times because it would not go away because we couldn't catch it. <laughs> I'm glad you've been able to kind of reframe that now. Yep, and, um, yep. I'm going to tell my comfort. husband tonight. I'm going to be like, well... I have the yes. answer. It's because yes. of my brain. <laughs> yes.
1: right. Well, thank you so much for having me, Renee. It was yeah a joy to yeah, talk to you about it. Um, and I hope it's been really helpful for people who might, yeah, have had some worries about this topic.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, Bye. until next time, see you later. Bye.